0: To another episode of A Little Spooky. This is the show where we talk about things that spook us just a little bit. Like cryptids, aliens, conspiracies, urban legends, or that bitch Carol Baskin. My name's Colleen.
1: My name is Everett. That's like I know two years I know. dated.
0: I'm in a Tiger King mood though. Every time I'm like, man, my life is going off the rails, I think about Tiger King, and I realize that my life is pretty freaking normal.
1: I promise you're not listening to an old episode (laughs) from 2020. This is February 2022. We're almost at Valentine's Day. Do you
0: not like just occasionally thinking about Tiger King? Does it still, it doesn't come up in your brain every so often?
1: I'll see that, what's his name? The main guy?
0: The Tiger King?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whatever his name is, Joe known Exotic. As Joe Exotic. Yeah, I will see him occasionally because he'll make a statement from jail or whatever. But yeah, beyond that, no, not really.
0: Anyways,
1: um, but yeah, like I was saying, it's almost Valentine's Day. Are you excited? No,
0: I mean, I guess should I be excited
1: for the commercial mercantile buy 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 whatever holiday?
0: I don't know. I like discount M and M's.
1: That's true, but you know what? What I wanted to have a topic that centered around valentine's day oh. my first thought was the valentine's day massacre no we're not doing that
0: <laughs> that's um, less spooky and more just sad
1: yeah um <laughs> so i was thinking to myself what is like the language of love what do you think it is
0: aren't there five aren't what? there five love languages
1: but what like comes to mind when you hear a language of love french no italian
0: what? No, I think about pasta and, and canals and stuff.
1: What else do you think of when you hear about Italy?
0: Um,
1: Mussolini?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, Guidos.
0: No, that's not Italy. We're that's talking, Jersey. We're
1: talking about the Amityville Horror. What? Guido Central.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I have never seen the movies... I know the gist of the story, but very I don't know
1: if you do. I don't honestly. know if I do either. I mean, okay. Is it
0: sad that I host a podcast called A Little Spooky and I don't know the Amityville horror?
1: So it, it is a little sad because this is definitely one of the like when like the quintessential haunted house story. Yeah. It's arguably the most famous haunted house in history.
0: I mean, I know of it.
1: No, I know, I know, but it's good. You'll have fresh ears for this uh, topic that we're going to talk about. So, the events at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York, in the mid-70s, made a huge impact on the American people and the media. The horrible crime that took place at this house and the events that took place afterward are thought to be one of the catalysts of the satanic panic. Oh, so that was mainly in the 80s and 90s, but we're still feeling, you know, the ripple effects of the Satanic Panic today with all of the televangelists and mega churches and everything.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So, like Colleen alluded to, there's a movie about this, and I'm sure most of you that are listening to this have most likely seen the movie, whether it be the original 1979 movie, one of the sequels, or the remake, and 2005 with ryan reynolds you've probably seen one of those movies
0: unless you're me hosting this podcast in which case you have not and this is all new to you but that's fine
1: because we're going to go over the entire story and the reason i wanted to point it out though is the movie is only a very small section of the story
0: well it's entertainment they gotta pick
1: well, there's there's many different parties involved in this story. And it only the movie only focuses on one of these timelines of many concurrent timelines. All right. So the story begins with DeFeo family. And that's why I said Guido's. This is because
0: the, well, they they're generally Italian.
1: No, you'll see. <laughs> so the, it begins with the DeFeo family and they moved out of their Brooklyn apartment and into the home in Amityville in 1965. The heads of the house were Louise DeFeo and Ronald DeFeo Sr., who is better known as Big Ronnie. Nice. They had five children. The oldest was Ronald DeFeo Jr., who more often went by Butch. And Butch was followed by Dawn, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew. Now, this Italian-American family was the stereotype that many people picture when they think of Guidos.
0: Okay. And I'm sorry, what year was this?
1: They moved in in 1965. 65. We'll, okay. We'll get to it. It's, it's the mid-70s. The story takes place. Sure. Now. Okay. So the father was a used car salesman, and he ran this place that was owned by his father-in-law. The mother was a former model, and it's thought that they both had family ties to the mob.
0: Nice. Okay, so they are a walking stereotype. Yes,
1: they definitely are. I don't know if there's actual proof that they had ties to the mob. Sure. But a lot of people think that Big Ronnie was laundering money in the used car.
0: We got a a man named Big Ronnie working for his father-in-law for a used car (laughs) sales, and he's not tied to the mafia? I don't think so.
1: So... Butch was the firstborn and bore the brunt of the abuse that happened in the house. It started as early as when Butch was only two, when louise's or when Louise's brother uh, witnessed Big Ronnie throw Butch into a wall when the boy annoyed him. <gasps> and that was just the first example of years and years of abuse. Oh. This continued throughout Butch's childhood, and the rest of the children were also victims to the physical and verbal abuse from their father and likely their mother as well. Yikes. When Butch entered his teenage years, he turned to drugs as an escape. He was a heavy drinker, but also used heroin, LSD, and possibly other drugs. Okay. Their house in Amityville was home to all of these terrible events for nine years until an end for the family culminated on November 13th, 1974. Butch was in a bar only a block away from their home, and got up to leave to go home. He later returned and shouted to the bargoers, you've got to help me, I think my mother and father are shot. He brought a few of his friends from the bar back to his house where they found Big Ronnie, Louise, and all four of his siblings dead in their beds. They had all been lying face down, apparently shot in their sleep. The parents had each been shot twice and each of the children once. The gun that was used was a thirty-five caliber lever-action rifle, and the reason that I wanted to specify that is because this weapon is extremely loud when fired.
0: How around? How old is he supposed to be? Like teens?
1: He was, I believe, twenty-three.
0: Okay, early early twenties. He's at a bar. He's drinking. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he's like, "I'm gonna go home now. Yeah. It's time to go home." Yep. And then he shortly comes back. Like, was there enough time for him to kill his family and then come back?
1: Don't know. You'll find out.
0: Okay, sorry. Okay. It just seems a little sus, if you know what I'm saying.
1: It does. It definitely does. So, like I said, this uh, firearm is extremely loud, more so than the average handgun or other gun that someone may keep in their home. Okay. Uh, Shots from this kind of rifle should have been heard all across the neighborhood, at least four blocks away.
0: Oh, wow, that loud? I guess, okay, I've never shot a gun. Are they generally that loud? I mean, you've specified that this one is particularly loud. Yeah,
1: more more loud than just like a lower caliber weapon. This is a very powerful gun that was used. Uh, Despite that fact, no neighbors reported hearing any gunfire, and the only odd sounds that were heard were the sounds of the DeFeo's dog barking at night.
0: So people could hear...
1: Yeah, they could hear, like, like they heard their so it dog. it's
0: notable that there was an absence of gunshots.
1: Correct. Okay. Yes. So, police arrive on the scene, and at the beginning of the investigation, the working theory was that this was a mob hit that Butch had narrowly escaped. And that would make sense with mm-hmm. this family, because they're thought to have ties to the mob. Sure. But they soon began to suspect Butch as the perpetrator after he acted suspiciously and contradicted himself several times.
0: Okay, that would be my first thought as well.
1: So he broke down halfway through an interrogation the following day, and he is quoted as saying, Once I started, I just couldn't stop. It was so fast. Butch was only 23 at this time. The rest of the children were 18, 13, 12, and 9. So Butch had a defense attorney named William Weber, and the defense team put together an insanity defense, which was actually, for this time, fairly irregular.
0: So he confessed?
1: Yeah. He broke down, like, halfway through an interrogation the day after the crime was investigated.
0: Okay. I mean, it wasn't like he was that subtle about it. I'm going to leave now. Hey, wait. um, looks like my family's been shot. I was here, right? <laughs> you all saw me.
1: So so he was using this insanity defense, which was rarely used at this time. And sure. since then, it it's like, you know, I feel like you always read about something in the paper and someone's claiming they're insane. Sure. But Butch said that he could hear the voices of his family plotting against him, and he had to kill them in self-defense because they were planning on murdering him. Hmm. This statement, among others, was cited by the psychiatrist that was hired by the defense as evidence of his mental standing. The prosecution argued that despite his heavy use of alcohol, heroin, and LSD, he was fully aware of his actions when he murdered his family. And on November 21st, 1975, Ronald DeFeo Jr. was convicted on all counts and sentenced to six life sentences. Okay. So all of this information that I just talked about is completely factual.
0: Sure. Yes. It just sounds like true crime. Yes. Police
1: report rundown. Right. And that's... Only the very short beginning of the story. Basically, what I'm saying is the rest of the story completely open to interpretation. We're just putting the facts out first. All right. We're going to talk about the DeFeo family later, but now the story moves to the new occupants of the DeFeo home. While Butch was still awaiting trial in the summer of 1975, George and Kathleen Lutz were looking to purchase a home in Amityville and move in with their three children, uh, each had children from a previous relationship, so it was a blended family.
0: Sure. That's just, it's, it's not starting off too a <laughs> good foot.
1: They had looked at dozens of homes in the area, and they were very interested in the house on 112 Ocean Avenue. It was a large colonial style and a very nice neighborhood, and even at a pool house. It was at a discounted rate of $80,000, and they soon learned from the realtor that this was because the home was the same home that the DeFeo murders took place just the previous year.
0: Interesting. Now I'm wondering, like, if as the realtor, do you, I mean I know you have to. Every state's different, but you have to disclose if there's been like a murder in a house.
1: Yeah, and I'm pretty within sure within a certain time frame. And I'm pretty sure in every state. A year is definitely in that time frame.
0: Yes. Now, do you tell them after they've gone through it and looked at it and fallen in love with it, or do you tell them before they walk in the door? I think
1: you only have to tell someone before they sign anything. (laughs) Yes. So they were informed of the situation, the Lutz family. And they took a day or two to talk it over and they still, after agreeing, decided to purchase the home. Okay. The home was cleaned up, obvi- obviously, after the murders, but it still contained all of the DeFeo furniture. The Lutz family bought all of the contents of the home for an extra $400, so it was fully furnished with the belongings of the entire DeFeo family.
0: Mm, see, that's heavy. I I would not like to live in a home from which, in which I, I knew a tragedy of that caliber occurred, but I assume... Especially would not be interested in, like, all of the contents as well. No other family members came to, like, clean it out or anything?
1: When the the massacre happened, it was a public, like, national-wide sensation. Sure. And I think everyone just wanted to clean their hands of it and leave it alone.
0: But, like, we all know that... Italian-American families are very close, especially if they're part of the mob. The mob wouldn't get in there and be like, I'm helping out my brother.
1: I don't know. I I honestly, other than Louise's father, I don't know if they had much other close family connections.
0: I just, that's amazing to me, and especially if they knew that. This tragedy occurred here, and they still decided to purchase all of the furnishings. And I suppose if you're like a new couple starting out, you don't have much. But even, that's too much baggage, man.
1: Obviously, they don't care. Sure.
0: Well, I mean, like, good on them. I think
1: they were very tight on money, too, which is why they even wanted this particular home, because it was very affordable for them. Yeah. And they get the furniture out of it, too, which they... May not have had. I wasn't quite sure about that. I
0: mean, like, on the surface, it's an amazing deal. Why let stuff go to waste?
1: Right. So the following events that happened to the Lutz family are the inspiration for the novel The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson, which was adapted to the horror movie with the same name in 1979, which received sequels and many new adaptations over the decades. So George and Kathleen moved in with their children on December 18th, 1975, only a few weeks after the conviction of Butch DeFeo. Okay. Kathy, uh, kind of used interchangeably, Kathy or Kathleen, but I think she went by Kathy. Okay. She was a non-practicing Catholic, and after encouragement from friends and family, the Lutzes requested a priest to bless the home before they moved in.
0: What does that mean, non-practicing Catholic?
1: I think she was raised Catholic, but... (laughs) And I so are you
0: Catholic forever <laughs> whether whether you will.
1: I don't think she affiliated with another religion, except, and I actually don't even think I included this in my uh little outline here, but the two of them actually were rumored to be practitioners of the occult,
0: ok. See, now that sounds like something that would would come out of rumors from this whole
1: well, thing. Happening. I don't know, actually, because. When I when I say a cult, it's not like they're worshiping, like, you know, Lucifer or anything. They sure. were into, like, what's called, like, at the time, and I, it's very similar to today, I think, like, transcendental, transcendental spiritualism, I sure. think it was called. Sure, sure,
0: sure. And well, this is the 60s and 70s.
1: Yeah, I, yeah the mid-70s. So yeah. I think it just carried over from the 60s and sure. they dabbled in it, which was not very uncommon for the time. But I think that's why it's...
0: It just mentioned here that she's a
1: non-practicing Catholic.
0: It's just that's an. It, I guess being raised Catholic, I I guess I'm a non-practicing Catholic. Well, <laughs> like I guess well, I just right. I don't consider myself Catholic at all. So I think that's. I just think that's a funny way of putting well,
1: it. Well, right, and the the reason it's even brought up is because they went to a Catholic priest to have him bless the home. Sure. And George was very unfamiliar with the practice, so okay. she had to explain to him why he's coming over, what he's going to do. Sure. That kind of thing. Got it. So the following is a quote from George. Father Ray showed up shortly after we were in the process of moving in. I waved, he waved, and he went on into the house and went about blessing it. When he was done, I tried to pay him, but he wouldn't take money. He said, no, you don't charge for this and you don't charge friends for this. I thought that was very a very kind thing to say. And then he said, you know, I felt something really strange in that one upstairs bedroom. And he described the bedroom. And we said that's what we're going to use for a sewing room. We weren't okay. going to use it as a bedroom. He said, that's good, as long as no one sleeps in there. And that's all he said, and he left.
0: Interesting. You didn't give any, like, further detail? No. Okay, that's odd
1: but not at the time, at
0: least. Sure, 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 sure.
1: What Father Ray did not tell George and Kathleen at the time, but did tell them later, was that what happened in the upstairs room was a lot more than just blessing it.
0: Oh, so he didn't want to freak him out.
1: Right. He heard a deep and menacing voice growl at him to get out, and then he was struck in the face by an invisible force.
0: What? Did they just let him wander around the house by himself?
1: Yeah, they let him bless the house, and it was empty for him.
0: Okay. All right. I mean, weird. I I think that's weird, but, you know, I guess if you need your space.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Lettses move in, and strange occurrences begin almost immediately. Crashing sounds would wake the family during the night. George would be awoken at 3 a.m. every morning, which was said to be the same time that Butch had murdered his family, and also the witching hour. You know, whatever.
0: Were bars open past two back in the day? Probably. <laughs> it, and this,
1: this is in New York. I mean, not New York City proper, but like right. it's in New York too, so I think it's different from Wisconsin and Minnesota, like sure. we're used to. Cold spots were discovered in random spots throughout the house, and this particularly affected George the most, as he stated he could not shake the cold. He would tend to the fireplace day and night, rarely leaving its side, And he did his best to distance himself from the rest of his family. And that is a very prominent feature in the movie where he's like secluding himself and just constantly cold, wearing like layers and a jacket with fur on it. Okay. And like is tending to the fire. So like that really carried over into the movie and they put the emphasis on that.
0: So he's isolating himself.
1: Yes. Kathy experienced unsettling events as well. On more than one occasion, she described being touched by an invisible person that was following her. Kathy also claimed that after waking from a deep sleep, her face was that of an old hag with white hair and deep wrinkles. What? It was like a mask that was stuck on her face, and it took hours to go back to normal.
0: Wait, what?
1: Yeah, like an illusion.
0: So only she saw it, I assume.
1: George also saw it, too, but it only happened to her.
0: And it took hours. It yeah. wasn't just like shaking off a. Dream? No, it,
1: it would take hours to like wear off, like a spell or something.
0: That's uh, that's bizarre.
1: On another occasion, George found Kathy levitating above their bed in her sleep, and when she returned to the bed, it left welts on her chest. The bed? No, just the the experience. Like she had like hives or welts just okay. on her chest, left from being. Hovering in the air, I guess. Okay. The Letts' children also had their own experiences. They began to argue with each other and their parents more than usual, resulting in terrible beatings from their parents, which is, in their interpretation, like in the in the novel and the movies, something that wouldn't normally happen. It was like it
0: happened after they moved into the house.
1: Correct. Yes. The youngest child, Missy described speaking to an angel that was living in her room. And this angel, or what now some think was a demon, looked like a large pig-faced creature, and it could change shape and form at will.
0: Sounds and
1: pretty demony. Missy's pig angel friend had, <laughs> in my opinion, the most evil and disgusting name I have ever heard. What do you think it is? Gunther. That's pretty gross. What is Sorry, it? Sorry, that ain't Gunther <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, the pig's name is Jody.
0: <laughs> I have a cousin, Jody.
1: <laughs> so, so George and Kathy claimed to have witnessed two red eyes peering in at them through their bedroom window, and Missy believed it was Jody wanting to come inside. The hauntings continued. Loud, booming music would play out of nowhere, and the source could never be found. Whispering and yelling... Could be heard from invisible spirits. The upstairs bedroom turned sewing room was plagued by flies in the middle of winter in New York, which obviously shouldn't happen. Yeah, that's not normal. That's also heavily featured in the movie. Possibly the most famous event, which was also featured in the movie, green slime oozed from the ceilings, walls, and keyholes, and a smelly black substance leaked from the faucets and out of the toilet.
0: Did they, like, save any of this?
1: No, of course not. Pictures? Nope.
0: Just them saying, hey, there was slime, but it's better now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: At one point during their stay in the new home, George discovered there was a bunch of shelving underneath the basement stairs that was actually hiding a hidden room. It was a small four by five foot room that was entirely painted red. This became known as the Red Room, and the family felt it a an especially strong evil aura emanating from that area. The family dog refused to go near that room, and the red room is now said by many to have been a gateway to hell.
0: The red isn't that from Red
1: Room is a va-
0: haunting of Hill House. Red Room
1: is from a, like a dozen different movies, books, and, it, and things. I, assume I don't started know if this, with this I don't know if this was the first, but I think this is the most famous, for sure.
0: And it's just a random room we found. Yes. And it happened to be painted red. Like
1: almost as small as a closet, honestly, like a walk-in closet.
0: Sure, so like Harry Potter's bedroom under y- the yeah, stairs. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, it was most likely used as storage uh, sure, by I prior mean, residents.
0: Yeah, I've been in houses that have had, you know, like a room under the stairs.
1: Right. Um. Weird. So for 28 days, the Lutz family was berated by these unexplainable events, and it reached a boiling point when something else happened to the family that they refused to tell anyone. And to this day, it's not really known, but some people theorize that George attempted to murder the family, much like Butch DeFeo did only a year prior. So whether that's true or just a rumor, the family got out of the house alive and left on January 14th, 1976. So they
0: were there for
1: 28 days,
0: not even a month.
1: Yes. The Lutzes did not tell the neighbors about their departure, and it was several weeks until the public began to catch on to what happened. A local journalist named Laura DiDio wanted to investigate rumors she had heard about something paranormal happening at the home. The fact that something may have happened at the same house of the recent local massacre only made it more tantalizing. Laura was able to convince a husband and wife paranormal investigative duo to come to the house and assist. This couple is known today across the world and are possibly the most famous name in the game. Guess who? The Warrens. Yes, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Okay. I have my own feelings about these two, and I'm sure a lot of other people do too. But Ed and Lorraine Warren are best known today for their portrayals in movies like The Conjuring and Annabelle. For those that are unfamiliar with the Warrens, Ed was a self-proclaimed demonologist, and Lorraine claimed to be a medium and a clairvoyant. Over the course of their career of paranormal investigations, they claim to have investigated over 10,000 cases. Their investigations, books, lectures, and media appearances are highly debated among believers and critics alike of the paranormal.
0: Yeah, yes. I mean, I've always kind of thought of them as the scam. I think a lot of people do.
1: Let's let's get talk about them out of the way before we even delve further into the story. Okay. Because I don't want to spend too much time on it because there's a lot to the story that I want to talk about. Um, I think the Warrens truly believed in what they were doing. Hmm. But I also think they were highly manipulative and took advantage of people even if they didn't realize they were doing it. I think they were a scam, but
0: you, they, I, they, think, I
1: don't think they did it intentionally.
0: Well, do you think they started off with good intentions and then it ended up being a, a money-making scammy scheme?
1: I think probably, yeah. And I mean, I maybe Lorraine Warren truly did have some sort of like mystical clairvoyance or something. I don't know if I believe in that kind of thing. Sure. But whatever. And... She was kind of the brains behind the operation, too. Ed was also there, and he took, you know, the majority of, like, speaking roles at lectures and stuff. But I think she was running the whole show.
0: But at this point in the story, they are already well-known, and that's why this journalist got them to live in the house. Yes. I
1: mean, definitely not as well-known as they are today because of the movies that they're, you know, have been portrayed in. But they were definitely very famous in this, you know... Got it. Field. (laughs) Got it, got it. So, the Warrens first entered 112 Ocean Avenue on February 24th, 1976. Lorraine Warren described an overwhelming sense of sadness and depression throughout the entire home. After entering the basement, Ed felt a powerful inhuman presence. And this is a quote from Ed. It was as if I were standing underneath a waterfall. And the pressure was driving me down to the floor. And I commanded in the name of Jesus Christ, what was there to reveal itself and to reveal its identity, I under—I understood right at that point that what we were dealing with was no ghost. This was no ordinary haunted house.
0: Now, th- there have never been any reports of hauntings prior to the murders in this house. No. Or are we just not there in the story yet?
1: No, there were not.
0: Okay, so the idea would be that any demon entered the house at the time of the murders or is what caused the murders, but was not there prior to the, def-
1: the Defeos. DeFeo's.
0: I was going to say defoe. DeFeo's.
1: Exactly. So, among people that believe in this story, it's highly debated whether this haunting is what's considered a residual haunting. Or a demon possession. Okay. So I think some people may even think both, too. But a lot of people are under the impression that this started with the Lutzes because the ghosts of the murdered DeFeos still resided at this residence.
0: Okay. And my first thought was there was some sort of demon attached to Butch that... Inspired him to kill all of these people. And it's not necessarily the ghost of the family, but like that demon right. in the house.
1: So Butch DeFeo changed his story many times over the decades since. And sure. at one point, that was one of his claims that he was told by an evil presence or a demon or a ghost to kill his family.
0: Now, what were the thoughts of the day about his insanity plea? Did Were people under the impression that, like, he's just claiming insanity because he killed this, but really it was revenge for his shitty childhood? Or are people kind of thinking that he was suffering from some sort of mental illness?
1: I mean, he was found guilty, so I think it was more so the first. Okay. I mean, you could ask anyone that same question, like any random person, and they could say either. I don't know what other people think about Butch. Sure. Um,
0: No, I'm just thinking I was recently watching. I don't remember what it was. Um, Maybe it was like a TikTok. And it was like a girl who was like 16 or so. And she was talking about her schizophrenia diagnosis. mm -hmm. And, you know, because I don't know of many people with schizophrenia. So it was really fascinating listening to her describe how they found out she had schizophrenia Mm
1: -hmm. and it was
0: like she was laying in her room one day and she just heard her mom and sister talking outside of her door saying just like awful mean things. She didn't say what it was specifically, but it was just terrible things. And she walked outside and like down the hall and like yelled at her mom and was like, why would you say that? And her mom was like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. It, It just drove the point home to me, like how real it can be. Right. For somebody who and that, has. And that's
1: the defense that Butch and his defense team used because he said that he thought the rest of his family was planning on murdering him. Right. So he had to do it first.
0: Which is interesting because he killed a nine-year-old sibling. Right. Nine and th- I mean, like, I can't imagine they'd be that involved in a murder plot, but what, what do okay. I
1: know? We, I, I want to stop talking about Butch right now because we are going to talk all about Butch at the end of the okay. episode. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So— because, yeah, I, th- there is quite a bit to get through, and I, I don't want to make this a two-parter. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. So after conducting the first sweep of the home, the Warrens put together a group of professional or so-called professional psychics to assist them in their formal investigation. The Channel 5 News team, which was Marvin Scott, Steve Petropolis, and Laura Dio, joined as well, and they covered the Warrens' investigation on the night of March 6th 1976. In addition to all of the friends and colleagues of the Warrens, uh, plus the news team, the entire group was about 20 people in the house that evening. Wow. Yeah, quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And the group, all together except the cameramen that were behind their cameras, held a seance around the dinner table. And the Warrens and their psychic friends each claimed to sense their own personal experiences Throughout the evening, one of the friends of the Warrens was named Mary Pascarella. Mary called herself a time walker, and that is a person who is able to sense and sometimes visualize past events by being in a particular location. This is a quote from Mary I began to say my prayers, and I was saying the Our Father. I looked out of the door, and as I was saying the Our Father, there was a group of figures saying the Our Father backwards. It is spooky. So during the seance, Mary felt ill and had to be moved out of the room. And this is a continued quote There seems to be some kind of black shadow that forms ahead and it moves. And as it moves, I feel personally threatened. Hmm. Another psychic, Alberta Riley, said during the seance It's upstairs in the bedroom. What's here makes your heart speed up. My heart's pounding. And the psychics were not the only ones to have strange experiences. Channel 5 cameraman Steve Petropoulos claimed to have suffered a rash of heart palpitations and shortness of breath while climbing the staircase, and he had no history of health issues, breathing or heart issues. Okay. Lorraine Warren said the following. Whatever is here is, in my estimation, most definitely a, uh, of a negative nature. It has nothing to do with anyone who had once walked the earth in human form. Okay. It is right from the bowels of the earth. Whatever is here is able to move around at will. It doesn't have to stay here, but I think it's a resting place. And Lorraine was later famously quoted, because this is one of her most famous quotes from her career. mm mm-hmm. I hope this is the closest to hell as I ever get.
0: Okay, so that confirms
1: kind of my demon theory. Yes. So testimony was not the only thing to come from the night of the investigation. A now infamous photo was captured. The image was supposedly captured by Gene Campbell, a professional photographer who was part of the team brought by the Warrens. Gene had set up an automatic camera that took infrared pictures to capture the second for landing throughout the night. Equipped with black and white film, the camera captured the photo of a ghost boy in the Amityville home.
0: Hmm. Can you describe?
1: I'm going to show it to you in just a second. Okay. And we will post the photo, obviously, on social media as well. Uh, But some speculate that the ghost was of the murdered child, John DeFeo, who had lived in the house with his family prior to the Lutzes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to bring up the photo here.
0: Okay, see, now we're straying from the demon category back to the ghost of the family category.
1: Could be both. Don't know.
0: Okay. I have seen this picture before, and that does look very real.
1: And... Uh, like,
0: uh, when you were describing Ghost Boy, I'm picturing, like, a shadow.
1: Right. It's, it's definitely obviously a human face you can see hair you can see lit up eyes and facial features um this photo is highly debated is it um
0: i mean i don't know as a lay person with no photo manipulation
1: Experience,
0: um, it looks real to me. It looks like a picture somebody took of their kid peeking out from the stairs.
1: Exactly. So it's there is no question that this is a child. Yes. And the photo has been authenticated, too. It's not altered in any way. Oh. Um, but what people disagree on is who the boy is. So people that believe in this story obviously say it's a ghost, uh, most likely the ghost of one of the Defail children. Mm-hmm. But more likely, it was the nephew of one of the attendees of the event who was the sole child in the home during the time of the investigation. So
0: there was a kid there. There
1: was one child there.
0: Okay. All right. I I noticed. So the picture you had showed me also had a comparison to the.
1: To the DeFeo kid, John.
0: And I mean, yes, I can see the similarity, but honestly, it just looks like generic little white boy. Right. No,
1: big, I big. completely agree. And I mean, the, the thing is, like, it could go either way. There's no definitive proof either way. It's just it's a highly debated photo. Sure.
0: Creepy, if, it, if true. Big, big if, if true. true.
1: So only a year after the Lutz family fled their home in 1976, a novel about their experiences was released in 1977 by Jay Anson. His novel was adapted into the film, The Amityville Horror, which was released only two years later in 1979. Damn, they moved fast. This story, especially after Ed and Lorraine Warren got their hands on it, not that they tried to, they were called there, but like, it blew up. Even more so than the massacre that happened the year prior.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking, how did all of that information come out for a novel to be written what less than a year later which not only had to be like a full-blown story in itself but it was apparently good enough to catch the attention of Hollywood
1: right well the the book before Hollywood even made the movie for it the book itself was extremely popular it sold very well and the reason the book was able to be written is because everyone involved obviously other than Butch and the mm-hmm. deceased Everyone else involved was willing to give their information for the book.
0: Except for the one thing that happened that they won't talk about.
1: Except that one portion, correct.
0: I assume the book kind of fills in the blank there.
1: I've never read the book. I've seen most of the movies. I've definitely seen the original and the remake. I don't think I've seen any of the sequels. But... They heavily imply in the movie that he is trying to kill his family.
0: So it's kind of like a reliving. Uh,
1: yes, exactly. Of what like, uh, happened uh,
0: with Butch and his
1: family. Exactly. Okay. So the book and the movie were both immense successes. And to this day, subsequent owners of the home in Amityville, New York, have had to deal with strangers coming to their home to take pictures, hang around outside, and even approach the home to ask if they could tour it.
0: Sure. Yuck.
1: The Lutz family has never wavered from their story, though they have admitted that some details were exaggerated in the book and the movies.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's to be expected.
1: George and Kathy even took a lie detector test in an attempt to silence the haters, as I like to imagine (laughs) it. Uh, But actually, they both did pass. Sure. And in their minds, you know, in their own minds, that proves their story as true. So they
0: believe something happened. Whether or not something happened, the lie detector test proves that they believe what they're saying. Or
1: that they're very good liars.
0: Or they are great at lying. There is a reason that lie detector tests are not admissible in court.
1: So I have I have a lot more to talk about still, but so far, what do you think? Like, what? what how, how believable do you think this is?
0: Ah. I'm torn. I mean, so I've never really been one to believe in haunted houses. Started. I think that it's an easy scam, to be honest. Uh, A child who grew up, or a man who had a very unhappy childhood, snaps, murders his family. And then the next people that move in have a very... Easy in to a, you know, very interesting story.
1: Possible book and movie deal and the like. Right. I mean, I am of the same opinion, too. And here's the thing. This entire story is all bullshit. What do you mean? The only thing that was 100% factual from this story was the horrible massacre of the DeFeo family. Butch DeFeo has changed his story many times over the years, but his final stance before he died was this. And he actually only died uh, last year. Oh, really? Yeah. I suppose. There were no ghosts or demons or voices in his head. But he was only partially responsible for the murders. Life for the DeFeo children was torture in the house at the hands of their parents. And according to Butch, his sister Dawn, who is the next oldest at 18, Mm -hmm. hatched together a plan for the two of them to murder their parents, and just the parents.
0: Yeah, it does surprise me that he would also murder his siblings. Mm
1: -hmm. So Butch has given varying accounts of who killed who, but in the end, Butch killed Dawn after the rest of the family was dead, either out of fear that she would have ratted him out or he worried that she would turn the gun on him.
0: But why? Why would they turn the gun on each other if they came up with a plan together?
1: Don't know. Uh, there, and I, I didn't, mean, I
0: guess I, you can't really put rational thought into a murder plot.
1: Right. So. And I, I didn't really want to include this because there really isn't any sort of substantial evidence to back this up. But I have seen a lot of people claim That Butch and Dawn were also having an incestuous relationship, and that may have had something to do with them hatching a plan together and then also turning on each other, if that were true at all.
0: That just sounds like a juicy rumor.
1: It it really could be. That's why I didn't even want to include it, but I just... Since we were talking about Dawn, I thought I should say something, but...
0: So, but he maintains that she was involved, at least... Until he died, that's
1: what he maintained, yes. And I believe he first made that statement, I think it was in 1995, so he kept that stance for almost 30 years.
0: Now, the question is, was he just trying to, like, deflect blame from this horrible tragedy off... Not tragedy, but this horrible massacre off of himself?
1: Well, but the thing is, he still completely accepted the fact that he murdered his family. Yeah. It's just he was saying that Dawn also was in on it.
0: Yeah. I just, I cannot, I understand the parents. I don't understand the rest of them. I don't. I know he did say at the beginning, though, like, once I started, I couldn't stop. And I well, don't know what that means. Yeah, but... I don't know
1: what that means either. But but here's why the his story is bullshit.
0: Okay, so you're convinced it's
1: bullshit. I am, yes. So Butch's defense attorney, William Weber, went public with his account of the story after he had falling out with the Lutzes. Which the
0: Butch's defense attorney was correct. in contact with the Lutzes?
1: Correct, yes. Why? Weber claimed that he had gotten together with George and Kathy, and he fed them a story of demon possession over several bottles of wine. So he, Weber, was of the opinion that there was nothing supernatural occurring at the home and he wanted the Lutz family to make up a fantasy series of events that Weber hoped to use to his advantage uh, for Butch's appeals.
0: Okay. Now, that is interesting because if you— I'm a very gullible person, I will say. Now, I'm a, I'm a young couple moved into a house that I was informed a massacre occurred at. Mm-hmm. I think that every small bump or creak that I heard in that house, I would easily blame on a ghost. If somebody came in, the the attorney of the murderer came in and was like, look, my client is convinced that this house is haunted by a demon. I mean, yes, I know it sounds stupid, but at the same time, if I'm alone in a big ass house that a murder happened in and I'm surrounded by all of their furniture and stuff and that guy's lawyer comes in and says that there was a demon, I'd be like, no, no
1: demon. No, no, that's that's not what was happening. He I may have I may have worded my my script a little bit poorly. Basically, what he was saying was, hey, This is going to benefit you if you make up this story. You could maybe even franchise this story into a book. Please, you know, say this so I can use that to my advantage in the future for my clients. Okay, so
0: that's less. Um, underhanded, more just like in your face. Yes. Because to me it would have been pretty devious if he was like I'll give him a few bottles of wine and tell them my no. client said a demon was in here.
1: And, and and like I said, George and Kathy maintained until each of their deaths that the story was true. Sure. But I at least in my personal opinion, I really do think they made up this story.
0: And what do you make of the lie detector test?
1: I think it's very easy to train yourself to pass a lie detector test. Because a lie detector test, a polygraph, is only testing your, you know, your heart rate Mm -hmm. and how you respond, like your nervous system, I guess, how it responds to inquiries. So, you know, if they're able to calm themselves and answer questions how they're supposed to answer them, if their story was true, Mm -hmm. they could easily pass it. I mean, not to say it's easy. I think it is very difficult to do that, but it's been done many times.
0: Well, we don't have any information on the interpreter of the test. Right. Did he believe them? What kind of questions was he asked? Right, exactly. I'm sure we could find that information. But.
1: And, and you also made the point, too, earlier, why didn't they take samples of this mysterious green slime or the black yes. ooze?
0: Yeah, I hate um, that.
1: Why didn't—and I, I mean, this is the 70s, too, So, and they were a fairly—I wouldn't say poor, but not very well-off family. Sure. So they probably didn't have the means to take a picture. Like, they didn't have a—, a Camera most likely, so they couldn't take pictures of the experiences they were having, like Kathy floating in the air or her face of an old hag. You know,
0: yeah, yeah, yes, okay. They're just the the things that they've chosen now. Like thinking back on it, pretty far fetched. The old hag face seen only by the two of them, but wasn't just like a flash. It was like stuck it's on. Pretty her original, face. though. Isn't it, it? it is, but it's definitely not something you can prove.
1: So So, like I said, the, the idea was that the Lutz family would in turn with going along with a story that the three of them concocted together, they would, in turn gain a fortune from a book that they would hire someone to write, mm-hmm. and possibly even a movie adaptation, although at the time they couldn't predict that.: Sure. Whether this account is deceitful or not, you know, whether it's a truth or a lie, it is worth pointing out. That the Lutzes, even though the novel and all of the movies were immensely popular and brought in a lot of money, over the course of the rest of their lives, they only saw about $300,000 in residuals, which, and that's over the course of decades. Yeah. It's not a whole lot. No. Not enough to
0: maintain a lifelong lie. Exactly. And again, I'm a terrible liar. Like, I'm a terrible liar.
1: (laughs) So So George and Kathy Lutz are now both deceased, but their son, Daniel, gave an interview to tell his side of the story. And I think this was in 2015. He was not shy about how much he hated his father-in-law, George, Uh, or not father-in-law, stepfather, stepfather. He admitted that George would beat the children every night with a wooden spoon and treated them horribly. Daniel would have very little to gain from protecting a potential lie his parents had concocted with a sleazy lawyer, but during his interview, he confirmed that pretty much everything from the novel The Amityville Horror was true, even if some portions were slightly embellished. So he was under
0: the impression that there was some supernatural stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as far as we know though, the children were not in, like involved in this lawyer scheme.
1: No, they they were definitely not involved in the in the scheme and according to Daniel, the events like the supernatural events at the home did happen. Even if they were exaggerated in the book, they did happen.
0: Now I'm wondering Before you mentioned that the Lutzes also, or at least the dude would beat his children Mm -hmm. and stepchildren. Was that the the norm prior to them moving into this house? I assume they all moved in together after they got married. So the stepchildren, this would have all been new to them. It's the biological children that would be more aware of what his his general demeanor was like, right? Right.
1: Yes. So when they moved into this home, it was their first home together as a blended family. Mm -hmm. But Daniel gave the interview in 2015, and he claimed that he was beat his whole childhood by George. So it continued after they moved out as well. Okay. So it was a pattern of behavior. It wasn't because of the home.
0: Okay. 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 Yes. Now I'm just wondering why... It all, it still all seems like a scam. I just wonder if like the children were really susceptible to the stories that the parents were telling.
1: I don't know. I, and I think, I think my true opinion of this story is similar to what some people think that it's a little bit of both. I think, I think the children especially did experience some sort of supernatural event, and I don't necessarily think it's demons or anything like that, but.
0: Negative energy. Exactly.
1: I think there was a lot of, you know, weird negative energy after a whole family was killed only a year prior. I
0: and whether it's
1: it. ghosts or just like the fact that they knew there were dead, you know, people only in in their same rooms only a year previous. I think that could lead to a lot of perceived events happening, whether it was true or they just believed it to be true. I, I just don't think it's entirely a scam because I don't think the children were in on it, but they truly did experience something.
0: Well, the thing is, they also were living in this town and going to school in this town where the murder had occurred one year prior. And I assume all the other kids at the school knew about this happening. Oh, yeah. And like rumors were already spreading. So like they were getting it not only from their parents, but from like the kids at school.
1: Maybe even the teachers, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I think they believed, especially because of Daniel's interview, they believed it was true, but I don't think there was slime. I don't think Kathy yeah. levitated or her face changed, and I don't think George planned on killing his family.
0: Yeah. Interesting that those things happened pretty much only to the parents. Those particular.
1: But Missy did see a weird pig angel.
0: The pig, the pig angel is a little weird. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Jody. know. Jody. Man, that's, I feel kind of deflated. I was kind of hoping for a more evil backstory.
1: I think that massacre is very yes. evil.
0: No, I guess I just meant like less scam, more Satan.
1: So here's the thing, people. The Amityville Horror, the movie, mm-hmm. fantastic movie. And if you have never seen it, I think you really should watch it because it it basically is the story of the Lutzes, but it's so it's just such a great movie, like the way it's shot and like the tense feelings you get when you're watching the George's character. I don't think he's named George in the movie. Um, Just like shivering by a fireplace with like, I think it was an axe in his hand ready to like murder his family. And it's just a very good classic horror movie. All right. So so something it, good did come yes, out of this live. If anything, you should <laughs> you should see that movie. Um, but most likely, this story is a bunch of bullshit. And I'm sorry if you believe in it, but it it's probably not true. And it is really sad that people were taken advantage of, especially the poor Guido De Feos. And that's the story.
0: Yeah, you do, they do give Guido's bad name. all right well that's the amityville horror yeah i got a story for you folks that comes straight from our discord our listener semantics that we talked about last week sent me this this here's the thing semantics knows me because as soon as i read this article or like the title of this article like it, it was written for me did he write it? <laughs> and I, I hope not, but if so, nice work, dude. Mysterious aircraft spotted at Area 51 in unprecedented satellite image. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: I thought satellite images of Area 51 were, like, censored.
0: Your mom is censored. <laughs> Based on commercial satellite imagery and sporadic video taken by hikers, there have never been more than a handful of vehicles nearby Area 51 and nothing of significance in terms of in- infrastructure built up around it. But now, for the first time, satellite imagery not only shows activity around the mysterious hangar, but the nature of that activity is a never before seen exotic Delta Wing aircraft parked on its northern apron.
1: I don't know what that means.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. It's. And Okay, let's see. So, when glancing at these r- images of the base, they noticed the appearance of a roughly delta-shaped blob on the north apron of the southern hangar. That's a bunch of weird descriptors. That's words. what I'm saying. <laughs> what's, a, what's a delta shape?
1: Like, like the alphabet character from the Greek alphabet?
0: Anyways, the first shot that contained this object was January 26, 2022. Since we've never seen any action around the hangar, we found it odd. The blob remained there through low resolution imagery all the way from the 22nd to the 28th. And then a high resolution image dated January 29th showed that the blob was actually an exotic delta shaped aircraft under an unenclosed skeleton like structure.
1: Weird. Like, like the, st- the innards of like an umbrella, like a big umbrella.
0: The structure itself is a temporary aircraft shelter. The top covering is not installed. These are really common oh, so re- structures. It really is
1: like, a num- I mean, like, not really yes. an umbrella, but it's like a, a canopy almost. Right.
0: And this, these are commonly used by the U.S. military. Sure. The aircraft in question measures 65 feet long and 50 feet wide and has uh, wings that are reminiscent of a Concorde.
1: I don't know my military lingo.
0: The, the wings have a flowing, almost organic appearance, and the aircraft has no discernible tail surface. Okay, so they're just describing like an aircraft or whatever, but nobody knows what it is. The size and shape are broadly similar to next-generation air dominance and sixth-generation fighter-related concepts that have been seen by both the USAF and the
1: Navy. Hmm. Okay,
0: so they're basically trying to say, some spooky shit going on in Area 51.
1: Right, I think think the implication of this story, especially by the headline— is that this is an alien aircraft that the government is in possession of. Yes. Or at least alien technology.
0: Does that not blow your mind?
1: It does a little bit. So then, I, especially since I don't even know what the fuck this looks like.
0: There there are some images. Here, let me show you.
1: We'll post this too on our social media. In addition to the boy ghost.
0: It looks like a plane.
1: It. <laughs> yeah, it looks a lot like the, the stealth fighters like that have been around for like 30 years
0: yeah okay but here's the thing
1: area 51 (laughs) that is spooky Colleen. i'll give you that
0: but no i mean even if we're like we have been made to believe that alien technology is being experimented with At Area 51. Mm -hmm. So this could be the result of the government mingling extraterrestrial technology with Earth plane.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, it could be. I mean, I've also thought that the Internet is so fascinating as a concept that it had to be aliens that give it to us.
0: Okay, but here's the weird thing to think about, though. Area 51 is a very secretive place, whether or not you uh, believe in any of the,
1: the alien, alien theories. It's housing something that isn't meant for public eyes.
0: Yeah, so why was it out in the open? I mean, they know that people are taking satellite images of Area 51 Well, that's all what the I was time. saying.
1: I thought satellite imagery of uh, military bases and stations were supposed to be censored. And that's why you also can't get close to Area 51. Like, it's all fenced off several miles away from the actual structures at Area 51.
0: Right. So is this something they, like, want us to see? Is this,
1: like, throwing Mm. us off? What's the word for that? Uh,
0: Red herring?
1: I guess, yeah. I want to believe.
0: I do, too. And there's quite a bit more to this article. I'm just skimming through it. Well, the update here is that February 2nd, it was gone. Hmm. By February 3rd, it was removed without a doubt. The temporary shelter and the aircraft are nowhere else on the base.
1: Except it's going to be reappearing in several days for the Super Bowl halftime show. (laughs) Well, if you come across a story that you would like us to talk about at the end of our podcast or any personal stories that you would like to share with us that We could share with everyone listening. You can send it our way. You can send it to Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. All are at HQ. You can also contact us on Discord. Discord invite link are on the socials. Or you could send us an email. To
0: podcasts at NerdSloth.com. That's podcast with an S. At nerdsloth.com. And you know what? We recently put up our first extra special Patreon mini-sode.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so if you're interested in listening to that, feel free to check out our Patreon.
1: Yeah, uh, Patreon is for Nerdsloth, the network, not just for a little spooky. So Correct. you would be getting bonus content from all of these shows on Nerdsloth as well. And for us, for a little spooky, we are planning on releasing a mini episode uh, on about a monthly basis. Yeah. So,
0: check that out if you feel so inclined. Otherwise, listen to us wherever you want. Whatever podcast place you'll listen to.
1: (laughs) And we will catch you next week, and we love you. We love you. Bye. Bye.